Welcome, oh, children of... Oh, jeez. He's going to do that intro again. Okay. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that shit, you bastard. <laughs> Welcome, children of the night. We are the podcast by the cemetery, where the mugwump jism can't be beat. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Scott. Cru- what? Oh, I thought you were going to say the rest of your name. I'm Randall Bentonway. And the man behind the mics who talks too much but doesn't say enough, Tim. Why, why, why can't I introduce myself? Why, why do you Because have... I have to do it. It's so much more fun. Uh, I've, I've, <laughs> it's okay. like uh, Letterman. He introduces the music yeah. guy. All right. Well, you know, literally nothing that exciting about me. I don't need a special introduction. Oh, you're going to get a different introduction every time. All right, cool. <laughs> I like it. But uh, yeah, we'll be talking tonight about uh, what we've been drinking, horror news of the week, uh, heavy metal segment, what we've been watching, and a review of... Naked lunch, and John dies at the end. So keep your shovels close at hand, and let's dig in. Dig. All right, so what you guys been up to all week? Uh, I went and saw Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. They were really great. They're all like 70 plus years old, and they just rocked ass. They were seriously good. And they, you know... They're applicable to the podcast. Obviously, they have the song Godzilla. They've also written songs about the movie Nosferatu, and you know they have some other horror influenced stuff. Well, yeah, it's BOC, man. It's good stuff. Don't they? Aren't they the ones that don't fear the Reaper as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. John Carpenter's favorite song featured in the movie Halloween, when uh, Lori and Annie are driving to their babysitting gig, and Lori fucking smokes the joint with like her hands together like this oh yeah. <laughs> yep <laughs> it cracks me up every time uh why did um why were joints always in like yellow papers in movies did you ever notice that like yeah especially back in the 80s yeah 70s and 80s movies joints were always in yellow papers uh, do you think it was just so people would know that it's a joint like that's a joint uh, that's the only thing i can think of why it would be like that it's kind of weird but I've never rolled a yellow joint. <laughs> Some of the papers I use are like brownish because they're hemp or whatever, but But uh what you been up to, Tim? Uh literally nothing exciting. Uh yeah. Sorry. Uh got a new laptop, so that's like the only applicable thing here because coming next podcast or maybe the one after that, we'll be recording on it. Yay! Yeah. We recorded the theme song today. That was cool. Oh, we yeah. did. Yeah. It took that us fucking cool. two hours to record a 90 second sound clip. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it was three tracks. It's a work in progress still, too. Yeah, is... we're still tweaking it, but, like, you know, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, we hope you guys like it when, because I'm oh, sure you like heard it. it by the beginning like of this. It. They like it a lot. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that was awesome, right? Or they can fuck off. And Either way, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming it was awesome. I haven't heard it yet, but... Man, I've pretty much led a boring life this past two weeks. I haven't done shit. Played some more video games. Did yard work. 
you know, typical, unfortunate adult stuff, but, yeah, and working besides that. Yeah, uh, so what are you guys drinking on tonight? Oh, you stopped and got a six of Oberon and a six of Poet. Those are both Michigan brews, Oberon being Bells and Poet being New Holland. (laughs) And we're smoking uh, Hey Dave. I think we might have been smoking some of that last week. It's one of my favorite strains, so I have a lot of it all the time. Who names that stuff, man? Yeah, it, oh, whoever <laughs> engineers the genetics like, hey, initially. Hey, Dave. I think that's a, like a Cheech and Chong reference. Dave's not here, man. Oh, I was yeah. thinking the same. Just D- thinking shit. that. All right, I should have known that. It's kind of clever, actually. I may not have seen a lot of horror movies, <laughs> but I've definitely seen Cheech and Chong movies. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. By the time we're done with this podcast, you'll have seen plenty of movies. Probably either you'll have quit because you hate us so much, or you end up becoming a horror nerd, or you're just like, whatever, I like punishment. This is, this is the way I look at it. When you guys start doing your top tens or whatever, I'm going to make it a point to try to watch like at least the top five of your top tens, and if I can hang on through all that, then I'm good. I would like to eventually <laughs> That's a good point. cover our top 100 again, and like... I'm sure I'll want to tweak it and move stuff around and add stuff, remove stuff, whatever. Yeah, because I've already tweaked mine a little bit since then. Because I kind of felt rushed when we did it the last time because we didn't really have that much time. I feel like we worked on it for like two months. <laughs> I mean, we like... probably did, but that's still not enough time. To not really. really. I mean, especially not for someone who's as neurotic as me. Well, right. I, I know there's no way I've seen a hundred horror movies. No, I bet, I bet you have. Yeah, um, depends on if you want to really loosely apply the term horror film. Right. We can like throw some psychological thrillers or maybe something in there. Then some of those can be considered horror. Possibly. It just all really depends. Yeah, possibly. Like American Psycho is in uh, the horror category, and that's psychological that's more of a comedy than anything. Yeah, I enjoyed that movie. Yes. Yeah, so see, there's one you already got. So you're already <laughs> on your way. <laughs> yeah. So what's in the news? Oh, yeah, so yep, we're going to start doing a new segment here, uh, pretty much either Blu-ray releases and things like that, or just what we hear so in the news. Okay. Okay. news. Well, uh, the news. then I don't know, um, I, uh, I noticed, and this might date the episode, because it's probably going to be a couple weeks before this comes out, but uh, at the new releases Blu-ray rack, I saw a new Tremors movie. Yeah, there's a sixth Tremors oh, yeah, part now. Six. Like yeah. Ice Tremors or some shit. I was like, well, how Bill about said that? it was good. I mean... I don't know. I I enjoy the first five. Yeah, they they all have their own like fun merits to them. They're like not great movies, but they're just fun. The B first movies. one's pretty great. Well, yeah, I'm uh, I'm talking like the more of the sequels though. Yeah, yeah. I I know of them, but guess what? I I, I mean, each one is less good it. than <laughs> the last one, but they're all all right, I guess. I think I might have seen part of one of them on like say TBS in the middle of the afternoon when I was a teenager, and it was all censored to holy shit, and it just well, it really. There wouldn't be much to censor okay. in the trailers yeah, either. They're yeah. like PG-13. Oh, Some right. of the language in the first one is censored a little bit on TV. but Yeah, like part five and six are sci- were sci-fi movies, like for the sci-fi channel. Oh, sorry if you guys hear that. That's my dog. He's a dog being a dog on the floor. But uh, yeah, uh, one of the first things we should probably talk about just to get it out of the way is just recently, I think it was less than a week ago, Margot Kidder died. Yeah, that's a bummer. Margot, oh. obviously famous from Black Christmas and Sisters, Brian, one of Brian De Palma's first films, Sisters. Yeah, and Amityville Horror. Yeah, Amityville. I'm not a fan of that movie, but I mean, it's a landmark film and a lot of people love it, so. Yep, and then obviously, like, 
genre-wise, she was in the Superman as Lois Lane. She was supposed to be at that comic convention in Detroit that just happened, too. Either that or the the one that's coming up in August. So either way, it's a bummer. I mean, it's a bummer anyway, but... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so you might know her as Lois Lane. (laughs) I just had to look her up because, you know... That's that's yeah. Like I said, you may be lost. They in made a joke about her on Family Guy. I totally recognize. Yeah, because yeah. of her mental health issues that she was having. <laughs> right. All right. All right. So yeah, Margaret Kidder's dead. That's a bummer. Twenty eighteen's knocking him dead. As as always, every year, more and more of our favorite stars and directors and whatnot join yeah. the uh, the maggot colony. That's the price of getting old, unfortunately. Like all of our our heroes that we grew up with in the eighties are like older than our parents. <laughs> so it's it's getting sad, but uh, yeah. So rest in peace, Margot Kidder. But uh, to go on to a different topic, uh, the uh, decided to they ended up announcing the cast that was going to be playing in it chapter two. Ah, uh, yes. Which I'm impressed with the actors because they are all big names, but at the same time, I was still kind of wishing that uh, they were like no name people because it makes it such more like a uh, much more believable when you don't have like big name stars and well, I mean, who is it? Oh, so uh, yeah, it's we have uh, obviously Bill Skarsgård's coming back as Pennywise. Yeah, he's ah, I like him a lot. You want a balloon, Georgie? I, I know, I like it a lot. I it's sound great. like Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that yet. It sucks. I uh, love it. Sucks on ice. I it it's probably goes to show just how popular it is that I actually do plan on seeing it just because I feel like I missed out. Well, yeah, it was one of the highest. So who's the Losers Club then? All right, the Losers <laughs> Club that has been announced so far is Jessica Chastain as Beverly Marsh. Okay, who that? She was. Uh, I think she was, if I remember correctly, one of the main girls in a uh, Crimson Peak. I th- oh, okay. Moving on. Uh. James Rans, uh, Ransone, uh, apparently he's playing Eddie Kasprak, but he was in the Sinister films. Ah. Uh, then we have James McAvoy as Bill Denbro, which... That's, really? That guy? Yeah. Huh. I, I could kind of see it, because he's a really good fucking actor, so I can't wait for that. I had heard rumblings that he was uh, going to do that, take that role, so... Yep, they approved it. Or they got him on board. And then... This one I thought was kind of a nice take for Richie Tozier, Bill Hader. Oh, really? Yeah. The like comedian be... guy? Yeah, the one from... Uh, the guy from... Hot Rod. Hot Rod. And... Yeah. That gets the metal shaving in his face or yep. whatever. Mountain face. <laughs> uh, okay. <sighs> I could kind of see him as Richie. Yeah. Uh, then we have Andy Bean as Stanley Uris. I'm trying to see what he did. Okay, he was in the Allegiant. Well, it doesn't TV really matter because he's gonna die in the first five minutes anyway. So, right. Well, I don't know if they're going that route like right off the bat because they do. Oh, unless they. Okay, yeah, because they're gonna probably do flashbacks because they have the kids still cast in this as well. So there probably is gonna be some more flashbacks. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, that's a pretty actually decent cast. Like just with Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy and. Bill Hader, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. I'm excited because the last half of the original It, was the adult half, was just not good. There's not much about the original It miniseries that was good. 
pretty much only Tim Curry. Yeah, Tim <laughs> Curry. Scenes. Some of the stuff, yeah, some of the 60s stuff. I don't think there was much Tim Curry was in that wasn't any good. That That is true. Even the bad movies he's in, they're usually entertaining. Yeah, he elevates anything. And then, uh, so yeah, we'll move on to the next news segment here, which is... Damn it, went to the wrong menu. Uh, Scott keeps us on track. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with, uh, what's his face? The trailer for, uh... Oh, yeah, that Von Jack... Trier's new movie? Yeah, Von Trier's new movie, yeah. yeah the that... house that Jack built. So I, I I assume everyone has heard that it debuted at Cannes and several people walked out and whatnot. This, you know, that's not the first time that there's been an uproar and outrage at Cannes or whatever. So... I take it with a grain of salt, and I'll be the judge myself because I don't know how many times I've heard, "Oh my God, this is the most shocking, disturbing thing you'll ever see," and I watch it, and it's like, yeah, I think it's shocking and disturbing to like normal main, people, yeah, mainstream <laughs> people, because I could see certain people being completely and utterly disgusted by some of the films that did have that tag. Yeah, I mean, unless you watch like. Solo or a Serbian film or subconscious cruelty or something. You yeah, I was gonna really say like seen the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of horror movies, but like there was a couple times that I've I, I've seen a Serbian film and that movie was all sorts of fucked up. Well, you, you've watched, seen Mortem. Yeah, I I was at a dude's house up down in Florida when I lived in Florida and I just showed up and the dude was watching August Underground's Mortem. But the fucked up thing is, is that. It was, he didn't tell anybody that we were watching a horror movie. Yeah, he just, like, let it play. It could and just we were be a like, snuff movie. What the yeah. fuck is this shit? Yeah, it was messed <laughs> up. And then, of course, the credits rolled at the end, and I was like, well, and, yeah. well thankfully it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't have to, like, go to the FBI now. That's cool. Yeah, so you've actually seen something that I never have. Yeah, it's your, do yourself a favor. You're Charlie Sheen went to the FBI after he saw the guinea pig movies in the 80s. He thought it was, like, genuine snuff, and... Yeah, forgot about the, that. Yeah, brought it to the feds' yeah. attention. It's uh, it's what it is, I guess. But anyways, uh, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the house that Jack built. I'm excited to see it. <laughs> Most of Von Trier's stuff is enjoyable for me. So and that's Matt Dillon in the role, right? Yeah, which that's kind of uh interesting. Yeah, he hasn't really done much great stuff. Like you know, long Outsiders time. is good. I, yeah, <laughs> and when I you know when I was younger, I thought something about Mary was cool, but that didn't really hold up. So I don't I don't know. We'll see. I do like Wild Things, and he is in that. Yeah, that one's okay. So I guess that's the news. Yeah. Well, no, he's. <laughs> oh crap! I didn't know you're ending it that quick. Here's oh, he's got more. He's got more. Where's, I thought that was it. There we had the more? Pet Cemetery remake. Oh yeah. Okay. So talk about that. Yeah, so recently they just announced that the Pet Cemetery remake, uh, they had hired their Judd, and it ended up being John Lithgow. So that's pretty cool. John Lithgow, notorious character actor, pretty good at disappearing into roles. Uh, I've always liked him. See how he puts on a main accent. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, don't go down that road. Loss. I mean, he, he kind of almost talks like that sometimes already. I mean, yeah, kinda. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what they do with this remake for the fact that like the original, though I love it, it's really flawed in so many ways. I love parts of it, but I don't know, man, like the casting of the lead actors is so very, very bad that even the best stuff about the movie can barely keep it afloat. Yeah, because I like I actually like the kid who played Gage. Yeah, he does he, a good job. But the, the daughter and the mother and husband, uh, the main character, like, 
Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've never seen it. Dale Midkiff and Denise Crosby. Terrible. Yeah. Terribly cast. Some of the worst miscasting in film history, really. Yeah, it was uh, especially like I won't say much because I I eventually want to make Tim watch that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many movies though. I mean, it's probably pretty low on the list of ones I should watch. This is just another case of like, do do we really want to call this a remake or is it like just another mm. adaptation of the novel? Like, I'm really I'm always pretty hesitant to call new adaptations of novels remakes. Yeah. I am the same way. Because unless it specifically says that it's based on both the novel and the screenplay for the original film, then... Yeah, or, like, if they copied the, like, original movie, like, beat for beat, and it wasn't even, like, right. the book. If there's stuff in the original movie that wasn't in the book that they choose to do, then I guess it would be a remake. But if they're just doing their own spin or adaptation of a novel, then is it really a remake? I don't no, know. No, just another person's vision on that, what they read. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I even uh, argued that with the uh, newer It film, because that one, everyone was saying remake. And I going, wouldn't call that a remake. No, that it did enough different to, uh, like, stand upon its own. Like Not only some... that, but it changed so many little things from the source novel, like, unnecessarily so. Yeah. Like, I was uh, quite happy that they did actually add the leper. Yeah, I mean, the stuff with, like, the Neibolt Street House was cool or whatever, I guess, but one of the, like, m the thing that irks me the most is that it really looks like they're setting it up for Bev and Bill to be together. Yeah, when it's supposed to be, uh... Ben and Bev? Yeah. Yeah. That would just chat my ass so much. The fat kid deserves to get the hot red-headed girl once in a while. Exactly, and... And they do, I'm, I'm so hoping they do more with Mike, because Mike didn't have shit to do in the film, and he was like, you know, the one that keeps the group together in the book. Right. Yeah, he was not very prominently featured in... Yeah, so I'm hoping this next chapter they introduce him. The, yeah, I mean, they, they basically took his, like, his big deal in the original was that he's the one that brought them all together and knew all of the history and had all of the, like, the scrapbook and everything, and... Yep, and Ben was supposed to be the architect, but Ben was Mike's spot. Right, yeah, I don't know. It's it's stuff like that that kind of turned me off to the new It movie, but anyway. Yeah, uh, but anyway, Pet Cemetery. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with this. Like, I haven't heard any other casting yet, but I do believe it is going to be rated R, so that's always a bonus. <sighs> Fucking better be. Well, I always got to worry with some of these remakes, because some of these remakes just come out and they're just PG-13. Right. Yeah, it would be a serious mistake to make this movie anything less than R. Yeah. And there's even stuff they can get from the book, so it could make it pretty uh, unique on its own. So I'm looking forward to see what they do there. But yeah, then our final uh, news piece is that uh, it has been in talks, but it sounds like the Saska sisters are finally moving along with that rabbit remake. God damn it. I, I was waiting for that response from you. <laughs> oh, man. It, it was a matter of only a matter of time until like somebody started chipping away at Cronenberg's filmography with remakes. Yeah. You would think that his stuff would just be too bizarre and personal for anyone to do them like, you know, do themselves or whatever. But evidently not. Well, when you have like obsessed fans, like I'm sure they are just like you are. So that's 
They, they're Canadian too, so yeah, it kind of makes sense, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what they do. I was not a really that big of a fan. You of You know the, what they're gonna do? They're gonna fuck it up. This is what they're gonna do, or make it better? Because I wasn't that big of a fan of Rabbit. Make it better. I should stab you. <laughs> I should light something on fire and then stab you with it. Yeah, the uh, news that came out about that though was that they uh, found the Maryland Chambers replacement, which is uh, Laura Vandervoort, who she is apparently. She a porn star? No, she apparently was in Jigsaw, and uh, I think she was in uh, that Supergirl TV series. That's gross. They should have gotten a porn star like Marilyn. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked they didn't go In that keeping way. Keeping with tradition. Yeah, there's there's definitely no shortage of porn stars out there. Especially wanting to be in a big budget movie. Or any movie. I That's really doubt it'll be big, big budget. <laughs> well, compared to a compared porn. Compared to a porn, yeah. Yeah, it'll be I mean, mild we could, budget. We could shoot a porn right now for no money at all. Exactly. Anyone, by the way, anybody want a video of that? Let's uh, let's try the first so that's porn the news. podcast. <laughs> what have you been watching, Scott? Oh, so yeah, I barely watched shit. Think I've watched a whole whopping two horror films, and that would uh, Session Nine, which I love that, movie. that was the first time watched for me. That was really creepy. It is and, extremely creepy. It gets in your head. Like I, every time I watch that movie for the next two or three days, I'm turning it over in my head and like trying to make sense of it. And it's, it's yeah, that's it's a mind fuck. Yeah, that's the one that you watched parts of when I was down here, and you're just like, "What the hell is this? This looks stupid." <laughs> okay. I forgot what you were doing, but you weren't paying attention. But you came down and seen bits and pieces of, it and then went back upstairs. Yeah, that happens sometimes. It's not really a movie that you can like come in and out of. It demands your attention. Yeah, as soon as it started, I was pretty much reeled right in. Like, I love the uh, setting for it and that giant the, abandoned yeah, building. Yeah. The, you know, that place is still there. Yeah, because I heard that. Yeah, they filmed on location, didn't they? Yeah, that place to this day is still there. Yeah, that is... Some... It's too big of a building for them to demolish, really, and it's like a historical site or whatever, so it'll right. probably just stay there forever. And it just, that is such a cool setting and just looks awesome because I love the architecture for it and everything. But yeah, the story alone was just very intriguing. Like, if you haven't seen Session 9, I'm not going to say a damn word about it because it's better going in not knowing anything. It came out like a year or two after the Blair Witch Project. And a lot of people compare the two because they're both like extremely psychological and whatever. But I mean, Session 9 is much better. Yeah indescribably Leagues. better yeah because i do not like that blair witch movie at all no the blair witch project fucking sucks i've seen that one i'm oh, sorry okay so <laughs> so i went to see that movie in theaters with like ray and a couple of other people and when i got back out to my car there was like a like part of a tree branch in the passenger seat on the floorboards the that was not there when I went into the theater. That's freaky. Yeah, and then, like, you know, given the theme of the movie and being in the woods and all the, like, the stick figures and all that stuff. Yeah. That was weird. That, w- that was creepier and weirder than th- the whole movie. <laughs> so. Oh, that's hilarious. I still don't know how that ended up happening or if maybe it was there and I just didn't know it or something, but. That's hilarious. <laughs> wow. So what else did you watch? Uh, the other thing I watched is a... Uh... <laughs> Netflix original film called 
The Cargo, starring Martin Freeman, uh, came out. The Morgan thing. Freeman. Yeah, yep, Morgan Freeman. Morgan who's been Freeman? accused of sexual recently, harassment. Yeah, recently Damn accused it. of sexual misconduct. That just ruins everybody's dreams. I remember what? when Morgan I was Freeman? on the set yep. of... I didn't hear that. When did that happen? It News came recently. out today. Oh, everybody, everybody's... When we were making the bucket list, I got a little inappropriate with a script girl. Uh, but anyways, Martin Freeman, the guy that played Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit trilogy and was also known for... Uh... Oh, Ian Holm? Ian Holm's yeah. in it? Oh my god, I hate you. Bilbo, right? Yes, Bilbo. Mm. You've thrown me completely off. What were we even talking Oh, the cargo. You bastard. Completely knocked me off my rails. He can't handle it. But, uh, yeah, that was a really uh, unique take on a uh, zombie film. Like, I... The way the zombies acted was very strange and interesting in, like, the way they changed. Because, uh, yeah, you wear bracelets in this world like if you've been bit and it counts down how many hours you have left till you uh turn and like it'll even say like okay you're gonna about you're about to have a seizure now and martin freeman gets bit and it's like a story about him trying to find a cure or find a like someone to help him before his time is up will morgan freeman huh. save the day watch embargo on netflix and find out <laughs> oh my god i hate you so much <laughs> But I really recommend this movie. It was really cool story. Really well done, well acted, well shot. I mean, Netflix has got money to throw around at just about anything they want to right now. I so. read yeah. at the beginning of the year that they had 80 original films slate for release this Jeez. year. That does not surprise me at and all. That's films. That's not like all their series. No, yeah, too. that's I mean, just, just films. That's just God, movies. That's insane. Damn. Yeah. And like, I, to put that in perspective for you, I probably own 150 MGM movies. Right. Netflix, so, if you're listening, the the podcast by the cemetery adapted to film would probably be I don't know. Very cheap. Yeah. Super yeah. cheap. Somebody yeah. would watch it. You yeah. don't have any podcasts or whatever, so you should do it. Yeah, sponsor us. Give us beer. And yeah, drugs. give us beer, that'll work. Drugs. Uh but yeah, that was the only thing I ended up the only two things I watched this week. How about you? I watched uh Jennifer and I watched Mother's Day on Mother's Day, obviously. Had to do that. Obviously, <laughs> Troma's Mother's Day, fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, uh, kind of like a survival, rape, revenge, uh, isolation, like in the the woods type thing. Pretty good stuff. Uh, it has like a a wicked sense of humor. Like the way that they torture the girls is funny. Like they'll they'll do these scenarios where like they'll set up a park bench or whatever and make the girls sit there and like pretend to be doing something and like just concoct this entire scenario and then turn it on its head and start assaulting her or whatever. <laughs> so instead of just torturing and assaulting, they're doing like play acting and stuff. And I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting. It is one I've been wanting to check out. Check out just because I know it's trauma. Yeah, it's... definitely one of the better trauma films that Lloyd didn't direct. I'm okay. not sure if it's one of the non Lloyd Kaufman movies. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's like a trauma movie or if it's just trauma distributed. I can't remember. But I also watched Larry Cohen's The Stuff. I remember you not liking that too much. I didn't. 
uh, I'd seen it. This is like the third, at least the third time I've seen it. But I wasn't like a fan as a kid, and then I revisited it uh, about fifteen years ago, and kind of came to the same conclusion. But this time it clicked. Uh, it's funny. It's really funny. Lots of cool effects. Michael Moriarty is just a ham. The guy that's in like all of the and was it Cohen Chip stuff. Charlie or something was the character's name. Oh yeah, the the black dude yeah. from like Saturday Night Live or whatever. Yeah. He's funny, and my, Michael Moriarty, my, Michael Moriarty is always very entertaining. I I know him from somewhere. He's I can't in remember. Pick Me Up. Do you remember Pick Me Up? Yeah. He's the old truck driver. Okay. Yeah, he's just always really over the top and a lot of fun. So, gonna try to find a copy of the stuff. Hopefully, it's maybe it's on Blu-ray now or something. Yeah, Arrow released it on Blu-ray. Oh, okay. And it's I don't the know US if I really Arrow. Want to invest that much in it, but. Uh, rewatch Nightmare, aka Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, a slasher film that owes quite a bit to Halloween, but it's uh, extremely gory. Um, Tom Savini, long rumored to be a part of it. He's on like the old posters and the credits, but nowadays they don't credit it for him. He maintains that he was just a consultant, but there are pictures of him on set doing stuff. This is the one where the effects artist killed himself because Savini was fucking his wife. Remember oh, we talked about yeah. that on the old podcast. That's no good. So like, you know, the, my hi- hypothesis is that Savini doesn't, yeah, Savini doesn't <laughs> like to talk about it because that guy killed himself because he was fucking that guy's wife. So I think that that's why he's tried to distance himself from the movie and just kind of shoots people down when they want to talk about it in person or whatever. <clears throat> I rewatched one of my favorite '80s vampire movies, Near Dark, in honor of Bill Paxton's birthday. Yeah, I wanted to watch Frailty, but I didn't get around to it that day, unfortunately. I am assuming anyone listening has seen Near Dark. If you haven't, then not Tim. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Well, I mean, anyone who's you know <laughs> a, a devoted horror fan has probably <laughs> seen Near Dark. I'm an outsider. <laughs> One of the best horror films, or one of the best vampire films. Yeah, it's really great. Awesome score, crazy cool characters and set pieces. Uh, one of the plot devices is fairly flimsy, but it doesn't quite derail the movie or anything. Yeah, the whole ending. Yeah. Yeah, that... But even, like, I mean, uh, after that happens, they're still, like, taking out the vampires one by one, and all of those scenes are awesome. Right. I rewatched. Another Bill Paxton movie, Mortuary. If you haven't seen that one, it's really great. Kind of a slasher. Is that the one that Toby Hooper directed? No. Okay. That uh, He did one in like the 2000s called Mortuary, but it's not good and it's not related to this one. Okay. This one no, also stars uh, husband and wife team Christopher and Susan George of, you know, Fulci fame. Oh, okay. It's pretty great. Some cool atmosphere and uh like an atypical slasher villain instead of having like a mask or whatever he's he wears like face paint and hmm. i'll have to look into that bill one. paxton is very cool and creepy in it rewatched toby hooper's second horror film eaten alive my name is buck and i like to fuck yeah this movie like it i like it more and more every time i watch it it's just sleaze and grindhouse personified it's ugly and dirty and grimy and like 
Neville Brand's raving alone is worth the price of admission, but then you've got (laughs) Marilyn Burns in a rare post-Texas Chainsaw Massacre role, and, you know, obviously Robert Englund as the Buck character or whatever. And, you know, Killer Crocodile, awesome. Yeah, it's just a great, just silly movie. Really jarring score, like lots of just kind of ambient noise kind of like the texas chainsaw massacre score mm-hmm. and that makes sense because a lot of the i mean and king kim hankel was involved as well you know so a lot of the texas chainsaw massacre crew was on board for that one i don't think it gets enough credit i like it more every time i watch it same here i've, I've only watched it i think about three times now but I like it every, every little more each time. <clears throat> I rewatched James Whale's seminal dark and stormy night film, The Old Dark House. It kind of gets glazed over by like, you know, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and The Invisible Man has other universal horror films. But it's I mean, it's about as influential as those two movies are. Every dark and stormy night haunted house well not haunted house but like gothic castle style movie is kind of patterned after that like gene wilder did a comedy spoof that's basically like his young frankenstein to bride and frankenstein is haunted honeymoon for the old dark house i thought that was what you were going with yeah old dark house rules court uh karloff in a really creepy like he plays a a mute drunk butler pretty cool character there's a lot of whales uh signature tropes like irreligiousness and sexuality that was way inappropriate for the 1930s audiences <clears throat> uh i rewatched mother of tears oh yeah i like i liked it more this time it's it's a pretty entertaining piece of shit. It's, I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, it's not good, but it's still entertaining with the yeah, gore and everything. I mean, there's gore galore and tits everywhere and, you know, kids getting killed left and right. Ladies throwing <laughs> yeah. babies off bridges and kids getting the guts ripped out. And... Yeah, I did not expect that at all when I was watching that the first time. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's worth a watch probably once every decade or so or five years. Like the it, The CGI ghost is just terrible, though. It's just... Got yeah, awful. That's dumb. What year did it come out? Like five years ago. Yeah, about, oh. yeah. So they have no excuse. Ten years ago. Yeah, I'd say closer to ten years. And finally, since today is the fortieth anniversary of Dawn of the Dead. Oh yeah. We watched that. It's been forty long years since George Romero released the best zombie movie ever, ever made. Yeah, I like Day of the Dead better, but like I know, Dawn of the Dead is like a better film. Which right. one? I which one's like, Dawn of the Dead? The Mall. Okay, yeah, I've I've actually seen that one a few times. There yeah, you go. the old classic. Yay. It's great. I would love to. Uh, I wish I could get that Argento uh, 4K Blu-ray cut. That's uh, apparently only based in the UK. I need a region-free 4K player. But yeah, they put a 4K version of Argento's cut of Dawn of the Dead out. So this year. In Pittsburgh, they're doing a Dawn of the Dead convention at the Monroeville Mall. They're going to have 40-plus cast and crew members from the original film. Obviously, obviously George won't be there, but, man, it's a bummer. Like, he was one year away. He almost made it. Yeah, it was so fucking close. Almost made it. 
So, you know, if you can make it to that, that'd be a cool thing to attend. I wish that I could go to that, but I'm sure I won't be able to. I would, yeah, I would love to, but I'm probably not going to be able to afford it right now. But yeah, that would uh, that movie is just, it stands the test of time. It is uh, a classic for a reason. Like, I love this film. It is in my top 100. But like, like I say, I still like Day better, but I like it just for the more cheesiness of it. But I love the story of Dawn of the Dead way better. Yeah, like, it's it's definitely better. And like, the characters are more human and less like cartoonish. And Day of the Dead is cool, but the characters are just so over the top. And you really don't like any of them. Well, it's not only that; it's just they're they're not like they don't even seem like they're meant to be believable. Yeah, they're almost like a comic book version of themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's everything's all grandiose and like i mean his idea like i think the original budget that he wanted was 20 million or something to make it yeah and it was originally a three-hour script and he had like big big plans for that movie and i think that that just kind of cuts through as much as he can in the version that he made and as a result you've got everyone being like incredibly over the top and boisterous and i still love it it's still in my top 25 if it but, wasn't for the effects, it probably would not hold up, like, because the story itself isn't enough to keep you entertained. But, like, the gore effects themselves are pretty much what carry that film. And, uh, you know, I mean, the characters and performances are cartoonish and outlandish, but they're also very entertaining and enjoyable. Oh, yeah. But I'm saying, if you just cut out the gore of that film, I'm wondering if it would be liked as much. No, probably not. So we're going to do our first installment of the music segment. I We don't, like, have a name for it. I don't know what to call it. I can't really call it, like, anything metal-metal because I'm going to be talking about bands in all kinds of genres, rock and metal and hip-hop and... Randy's Metal Corner. But, you know, eventually I'm going to talk about, like, grave diggers and stuff, and that's, that's, no, that's not metal. that's true. Yeah. Randy's just... Top 40! <laughs> So the band that I've selected for today's segment is the Misfits, formed in like 76 or 77. Their first recordings were in 77, so I assume they were formed in 76 in Lodi, New Jersey by Glenn Kai... No, Glenn Anzalone. That's his real name. Glenn Anzalone and Jerry Kaifa, also known as Glenn Danzig and Jerry Only. Uh, when they first started, it was pretty much just Glenn. He played like electric piano and they recorded she and cough cool. And neither one of those songs are really horror oriented or whatever. She's about Patty Hearst and cough cool has like some kind of like violent horrorish lyrics, you know, spit up blood when you cough cool. But it wasn't until he assembled a real band that he started to kind of put the aesthetic for the band together and develop what they were going to be like, you know, horror punk or whatever. Like the cramps predate them in terms of playing horror punk, but they're the ones that really made it what it is. And, you know, songs about Night of the Living Dead and Astro Zombies and Vampira and, you know, Teenagers from Mars and Horror Hotel, We Bite, 
lyric lyrically themed. It's it's almost all horror stuff, B horror films and sci fi stuff, and yeah, vampires and Satan and you know fucking lots of sex stuff in there. But they were one of the first bands to just like be horror, you know, like right. Alice Cooper and Screaming Jay Hawkins and a couple of shock rockers before them had an aesthetic of horror and even wrote some creepy songs or whatever, but they were churning out songs about actual horror movies and like, you know, they came out on stage in coffins and kicked the lids down and started playing and their shows were violent as hell. They, you know, they were around for six years before Danzig folded it up and started Samhain, Samhain, however you want to pronounce it, which is kind of a continuation. There's a lot of horror theme in that one as well, but the Misfits spawned, I don't even, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of horror punk bands. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they have psycho been... Billy bands and whatever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A lot of people are influenced by the Misfits. Absolutely. And not even just in like punk and its various subgenres, but thrash metal and grindcore and death metal. Like every bands from Metallica to Frightmare to Pig Destroyer have covered Misfits songs. Fucking Guns N' Roses. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I was going to ask, are they still around right now? Yeah. They're, I mean, Glenn Danzig, Jerry only, and. Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein are playing select dates together for the first time in 35 years. Holy crap, That's really? Kick ass. Yeah, they've done a few now. They did one in Vegas and like one in at that Hellfest or whatever. And then they did like a recent one in New York. I really, I have my fingers crossed for Detroit show, the Misfits, like they always said that their second home outside of New Jersey and New York was Detroit. Their final show was in Detroit. Oh, really? Back in the 80s. So fingers crossed that they come through. I would literally suck some dick to go see that <laughs> fucking show. Oh, um, let's man. hope it doesn't come to that. I think they sell tickets. You know how much those goddamn tickets are? They're like, they start at like 300 bucks. <laughs> Holy crap, really? Yeah, a, or 200 or something, something crazy. All right, well, then you like might that. as well just suck dick yeah, for money and then <laughs> suck my way in. You're good, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> the Misfits, uh, big influence on me as a musician and a horror fan. I came to them through Metallica, like a lot of people my age did. Um, after the eighties, Danzig did his solo thing. And then in the mid nineties, Jerry only and Doyle wanted to get the band back together. So they fought in court for like, I don't even know how long to be able to use the crimson ghost icon mascot or whatever. And the logo and really? tour, tour is the misfits and Glenn gets like. I think all of the merchandising money, even the stuff for the current band or whatever. And I think he also gets a lot of the musical licensing rights, but wow. The first album that they did with the reassembled band with uh, singer, Michael Graves and drummer, Dr. Chud, American psycho is a pretty good record. Uh, It's pretty solid front to back. Actually, all the tracks are fairly aggressive, good, heavy punk, uh, Interesting fact about Michael Graves. He'd never even heard the Misfits when he auditioned for them. Really? Wow. He 
got the auditioning gig and like made a mixtape of their songs to listen to or whatever in preparation, but had never heard them before that. Wow. I don't even know how that's possible. But, that's crazy. Uh, okay. Uh, the follow-up to American Psycho, Famous Monsters, not nearly as good. Some bangers on that one, but a definite de- decrease in quality. And after that, that band disassembled, and Jerry just kind of continued on with, like, piecemeal. I think Marky Ramone played drums, and Dez from Black Flag played guitar, and they did, <coughs> like, a... 50s cover album together that was pretty shitty and an album called the devil's reign that was pretty shitty but they still toured together or whatever and that's i mean i've only ever seen the misfits with that lineup i didn't get to see them with graves and chud way back when yeah like the first year that ashley and i were dating uh i was dropping her off at home one day and her brother just like scooped her up out of the driveway and they ran down to detroit to see that lineup of the misfits wow like you motherfuckers couldn't ask me to go. No shit. <laughs> I would go. I'd have bought a ticket. Whatever. So I never got to see that lineup. I would just die if I got to see Danzig and Jerry and Doyle on stage together. So fingers crossed for that. Yeah, fingers crossed for Randy dying. I just want to see him screaming. <laughs> I want to see him screaming like a little girl. I would like weep. I would weep through the whole show. I would cry like a little baby. <laughs> That's what I did when I saw Black Sabbath. I don't think my eyes dried the whole time. It was just really? like, yeah. Fucking A. Sabbath was a good show. I saw them twice with the yeah. original lineup. I never saw them with any fill-in people. I never got to see them with Bill Ward, unfortunately. I, I just had this dumb let's boycott OzFest thing when I was younger. That so. was pretty dumb. Yeah, because that, that's because we got to see the reunion there. Yeah, it was dumb of me, yeah. and I regret it. I regret it greatly. Yeah, those concerts were a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah. The, like, the later ones started just getting to, like, 90, late 90s, early 2000s metal rap core. But, like, before that, the lineups were awesome. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned the Crimson Ghost, the iconic mascot of the Misfits, is actually lifted from a... I don't know if it's from the 40s or the 50s. You remember Serials? Yeah. It was like you'd go to see a movie and there'd be like a little five minute serial before the movie and each week there'd be a new one or whatever. Yeah. That's from a serial called The Crimson Ghost, which is I watched it a couple of years ago and it's fucking really cool. Really? Yeah. Lots of crazy stunts like stuntmen used to be insane. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, shit, I think they're still insane. Yeah. Not nearly as much as they were, like, especially in the 70s. Yeah, so now they got laws to protect themselves. 70s stuntmen were among the craziest people that have ever lived. I know a guy that actually does stunt work. He's worked in a few films. Um, uh, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head. I know one of them was the really, really, um, uh, really bad behind enemy lines Columbia movie. Uh, But uh, he also did a bunch of other work, too. And he was like a professional wrestler. And that dude, he could do some crazy shit. Wrestlers can take bumps pretty well, so... Yeah, yeah. I almost, like, I considered going into stunt work, but I... No. No. <laughs> I don't... I, I'd break. Oh, he did an episode of Burn Notice once, too. Did he get to meet Bruce Campbell? I don't know. I, probably not. Pro- Bruce probably came on set, did his lines, and then walked away and right. said, I'm done. <laughs> it's so funny to me that he's like, I'm not gonna play Ash anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I think... <laughs> 
temporary. You know what? You shouldn't have played Ash anymore after the 80s, dickhead. Uh, dude, I I don't know. I fucking love uh, the series. You would. I liked it's it. It's fucking great. I yeah. enjoyed it immensely. And it ended on such a great note for it to be like considered like the last of the Ash series. Just the way uh, they I didn't even it. watch the third season. Third season was probably like my favorite of all three. I'll admit I felt like it kind of went off the rails a little bit in the second season, but then they brought it right back into the third season better. I just hate the everything about it. <laughs> I know you don't like the sidekicks. Holy and they're shit! Still, do they I stay ever around. Hate them. <laughs> it is. It is bad. very campy. It is pretty campy. But then again, you know, it's Bruce. Yeah, maybe I'm kind of, uh, of or no, used actually, to it. Hundred percent of his work is campy work. Yeah, maybe I'm just kind of used to it with like seeing uh, Ash with doofus sidekicks because uh, a lot of the video games had some like weird doofus sidekick with them. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I think maybe that's how I got just accustomed to it, and it didn't really bother me. I remember playing that Hail to the King game. That was okay. Yeah, I think that's the one where you had the like little deadite minion that helped you that was talking and shit. It was weird. Fucking covered in cat hair. Our cats yeah, love you. We have a lot of cats. Randy loves cats. He does. I like my cat. Our cats like you. That they do. But yeah, Misfits. <laughs> oh, I said all I had to say about that. Okay. So yeah, I guess it will be uh, time to go into our first movie review, which will be David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch. Whew. When I started writing Naked Lunch, people offered their opinions. Disgusting, they said. Pornographic, un-American trash, unpublishable. Well, it came out in 1959, and it found an audience. Town meetings, book burnings, and an inquiry by the state Supreme Court. That book made quite a little impression. Now, 30 years later, Hollywood, in its infinite wisdom, has turned it into a movie. 30 feet tall, in living color. Cover your eyes, America. Run for your lives. You're a mock man, Bill. You're just gonna have to leave town. Tourist class, I'm afraid. finished with doing weird stuff i thought i was too but i guess i'm not benway <laughs> okay so the first movie that we're going to be talking about on this uh drug mindfuck themed episode is david cronenberg's 1990 masterpiece my second favorite cronenberg film Naked Lunch. Oh, God. <laughs> it's completely disjointed, disorienting, hallucinatory. Like, anyone who is going into this movie thinking that it's just going to be, you know, three acts with a conflict and a resolution is probably going to be left scratching their head. And anybody going into it expecting exactly what it is is probably going to be left scratching their head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, a lot of head scratching in this movie. Uh, 
and a lot of weird bug prosthetics that are like just fucking weird, man. This I love movie them. was weird. Yeah, it's so okay. So it stars Peter Weller as Bill Lee, which was William S. Burroughs' pseudonym. His mother's maiden name was Lee, so his his nom de plume was Bill Lee, William Lee, or whatever his alias. Uh, some other featured actors are Roy Scheider of Jaws and Sorcerer. Then you've got Ian Holm of Alien fame, played Ash and Alien. He's always excellent, just always, always excellent, even if the movie's a pile of shit, like Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He's completely fantastic. Yeah, that, I... Kept seeing him, I'm going, I know who this is, and I just could not place it. But yeah, Alien, that would. Uh, then you have um, Julian Sands, who's a genre genre regular. He's in a lot of yeah, horror I genre films, most notably The Warlock. Yep, <laughs> yep that, that's what I recognized him from. He's a really cool cat. Uh, we got to meet him a couple of years ago, and he did a little snippet like... I don't know. He a plug for endorsement our old podcast. Pod, yeah, he did an endorsement for our podcast, and it was part of our old podcast intro. So that was very excellent of him. Yeah, really cool guy. I can never remember the actress's name that plays Jane. That's uh, Judy Davis. Judy Davis. Okay. What Judy Davis. I don't know. I didn't recognize. I don't recognize her from anything else. No, she's in Barton Fink. I've never seen. Oh, that, okay. But... That's. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. I say it looks like it'd be fitting for. So Judy Davis played the female lead also uh, in the Coen Brothers' Barton Fink, which is really crazy because Naked Lunch and Barton Fink are kind of soulmates in a lot of ways. They're both very just disjointed and disorienting and kind of about the business of writing. They're both very much about the business of writing. So it's interesting that she would be in both films, and I kind of want to watch them back to back now. That would be probably an interesting combination. I've never seen Barton Fink, but I know about it. I can't remember the name of the actor. It's not really important, but he's a Cronenberg regular. He's in Scanners and a couple of other things. He plays Hans. He's Bill Lee's like middleman for Benway. He's the guy that uh, reconnects Bill Lee with Benway when he gets to Interzone. Okay. And he introduces Bill Lee to the Interzone boys and stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That> okay, so <laughs> the breakdown of the story is that it's it's basically... It's not necessarily an adaptation of Naked Launch. It takes ideas from Naked Launch. It takes ideas from a different Burroughs novel called Interzone. Um, it lifts some ideas from Junkie and Queer, both Burroughs books... But it's also kind of just autobiographical about Burroughs, the man himself. And so it's about Bill Lee, which is Burroughs' alias. And he's living basically in squalor with his wife, Joan, in, I assume, New York. Yeah, yeah some, some big like, city. Yeah, like it in the 50s never really mentions era. or whatever. But he's an exterminator, and she's just kind of a layabout, bohemian type or whatever. And... 
she starts mainlining his fucking bug powder. Yeah, that the yellow. <laughs> what the bug. hell? Yeah. And then in an act which is accurate, this actually happened. Uh, the William Tell routine. He shoots his wife in the head and just goes off like you know runs away from everything. Yeah, to somewhere in like the Middle East or something. It's meant to be like North Africa or South Africa or something, yeah. I think. But. Yeah, because it definitely had that Middle Eastern feel to it. I guess it could have been like Morocco or something. Yeah, something something like that. But all of that stuff is like, you know, did it happen? Didn't it happen? Some of it's actually based on Burroughs' life events and seeing the world or whatever. But obviously a lot of it is just metaphorical and allegorical. So the plot line is hard to nail down, you know, he yeah. goes he goes to this place and is meant to write reports, but it's it's very much like a a spy thriller. Yeah, I, kind of very like has an espionage thing going on. Was he like working for aliens? I mean, uh, he was working for the drugs, Tim. Well, that's it. Like he was hallucinating hardcore. Yeah, there's well yeah. there is a point, there's a distinct point in the movie. It's the first time that Joan gets him to try the bug powder and then from that point on like the next day, he is on the job and his bug powder runs out and his boss chews him out or whatever. And he's then he tries to lift that guy's bug powder tank on the train to get more. Yeah. And that guy, incidentally, is the voice of all of the typewriters. Oh, see, that, oh, I didn't okay. even notice that. And That's, he's huh. the, the voice of uh, like uh, Mugwump later and stuff. Man, this was, like, I kind of, you even told me ahead of time, this is one of those films where it's like, oh, this is, you're gonna, this is a weird movie. I did not expect this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't really get much weirder. Nope, nope. I, I, remember... I liked it though. That's the thing. Like, it was shot really well. The the oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. The, the photography, the scenes were yeah, fantastic. they were they were lined up beautifully and great editing. The special effects for their time. I mean, a lot of practical effects looked. Yeah, I yeah, mean, top notch effects. Yeah. You would think that there would be notable effects artists like Botine or Baker or someone involved, but it's mostly. It's a big list of names. It's like twenty people long, and I'm not really familiar with most of them. Yeah, there's only one that I guess we can mention right now, and that was uh, Jamie Heineman, who was the co-host of the show uh, Mythbusters. And, uh, yeah, apparently he worked on the animatronics, and you can even see in Mythbusters uh, some of the Mugwump puppet animatronics like in the background, which yeah, I had no freaking clue he did uh, special effects like that. I mean, it makes sense, but I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, I knew they had All a of the different but... creatures are really interesting and cool, and it's like, it's incredibly, incredibly sexual. I was just about to say that. Yeah. The yeah. typewriter yeah. bugs talk out of their assholes, yeah, and like, we, uh, the yeah. Mujahideen morphs into this thing with like a pussy that a dick grows out of, and then... Yeah. Oh, and there's, yeah. And there's oh, a lot God. of... Uh, uh, Weird aliens that you can jerk off their... There was all the uh, all the, the mugwump secretion very much looks Ooh. just like a dick, you know, ejaculating. And <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of looks like cum or whatever. I mean, they do yeah. call it mugwump jism. So. Mugwump jism can't be beat. Somebody <laughs> was going to say it eventually. Yeah, you kind of have to. <laughs> it's so, it's such a good movie. I love it so much. It yeah. like It's incredibly comical, too, at times. Like, the... The routines that Bill Lee does, like the one where he's at 
brunch or whatever with Eve's cloquet. And then when they're in his car afterward, he tells him a story both times. And those, those are just Burroughs stories, but the way that, uh, Weller delivers them is fantastic. Weller, if you knew more about the guy as a person, like his personal life, he was just, he's perfect to play Burroughs. He not only kind of looks the part being all gaunt and like sunken in or whatever. Right. Can't even imagine how much weight he lost for that role, but, uh. Well, he was fresh off of those RoboCop movies, and he had to fit into those suits. Yeah, that's to do pretty it. crazy. Oh, so he that's probably why he was. Yeah, he was RoboCop. He was RoboCop. In fact, he turned down <laughs> RoboCop three to do this movie, and like that's fine because <laughs> RoboCop three good. is like the first. It basically killed Fred Decker's career. Yeah, that motherfucker could have been a star, but he. Made RoboCop three, and it's not even really that bad of a movie. People just hate it. You know, I've yeah. never seen the third one. Just saw the first two. It's not great, but it's I don't know. You can sit through it. Yeah, he has just, a jetpack. He fights Yakuza. It's PG thirteen. That's pretty unfortunate. That's what fucking sucks. Yeah, that's what really killed it. Is pe- people wanted the gore and like the profanity and you know the irreverent yeah. nature of the first two. But anyway, I digress. We do that a lot. <laughs> We had, um, I think it was, I knew I was in for a true Cronenberg film when I seen the bug talking out of its anus and just up close shots of this weird, just giant anus vagina looking thing. Say, Bill, can you rub some of this powder on my lips? It's like, as soon as I seen that, I'm like, all right, this is, if no one knew before, you know, it's a Cronenberg film now. I don't even care if the film has a coherent plot. It's so fucking cool and like every scene is great the performances are incredible it's beautiful to look at the costumes and sets are fantastic the howard shore score is perfect oh my god yes the weird music. score was the jazz yeah. absolutely yeah. like i i didn't know who did it but I, yeah I, as i was watching the movie that's one of the things that stuck out to me was like the the crazy jazz like these crazy saxophone runs and all Love this stuff me some jazz sax dude it, it fit the yeah. scenes perfectly it fit the chaos of the whatever the hell was going on in this movie perfectly it's just it's you know it's one of the great fucking mind fuck drug movies like a guy's life just falling apart and there's that scene where his buddies come to visit him in interzone and he's like laying on this pile of dirt on top of what he thinks is his shattered typewriter, but it's just a bag full of drugs. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is the remnants they of my last writing like, machine. And it's uh. just a bag full of drugs. <laughs> yeah. They're... That was pretty good. Uh, if you've never seen Drugstore Cowboy, I recommend that you watch that. Burroughs is actually in that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And he's, he's a very interesting never seen fellow. His, he's basically just playing himself in Drugstore Cowboy. So it's kind of, I don't know, it makes a nice like double bill with this one in a way. See, I don't know much about William S. Burroughs, but from like the little bit that I, that you're talking about and what I, just a small about I've read. He seems like almost like a Hunter S. Thompson type. Sort of. Hunter S. Thompson, if he were like bisexual and way more fixated on sex than politics. Yeah, there was a definitely. Yeah, I forget about the politics part. Yeah, Thompson was like totally gonzo and a drug maniac, but his main focus was politics and whatnot, whereas Burroughs was more focused on. 
human behavior and nature and sexuality and stuff. And this movie, this movie is incredibly sexual. Yeah, it it, it is. Without even really having any nudity in it, it's incredibly sexual. Yeah. uh, Was there like one scene or maybe two scenes of like nudity at some point? And the rest is just like, just phallic images and uh, just lots of uh, vaginal and phallic imagery. Lots of people grinding and writhing on top of each other and. Lots of homoeroticism. I love to recommend this movie to people and like hope like there were some people back in high school that, you know, they would oh, it's a cool horror movie to watch. <laughs> yeah. And that like this I, movie could make you uncomfortable in place. When it came to this movie initially, I saw it it was I, I rented it from I can't remember what the fucking I think it was just called Clio Video at the time. It was in the the plaza in Clio. It was before Midnight Video took it over, but they had, like, you know, the old row of VHS horror films or whatever. And yeah. I'd never seen Naked Lunch, and the cover was cool. It's just a close-up close of the Mugwump. Oh, yeah, because lo- I'm looking at, like, posters online, and those were the ones where it's, like, I think the image from the book or even the Criterion cover, where it's the up-close picture of the hat. I never really read synopses back then because I just wanted to kind of go into the movies blind and enjoy them and be surprised or whatever. So based on the imagery of the cover and the title, I was expecting something completely different. And even at 12 or 13 years old or however the fuck old I was or whatever. God, maybe it wasn't Clio video. Maybe it was armchair video. Now I'm getting all crossed up. My timelines eh, doesn't really matter. Yeah, nobody that much. knows where these places are unless you're from around here. And then, hello, neighbor. <laughs> yeah, like that's especially like thing of the '80s is you know you gotta back then a lot of people were just attracted to the cover and the title of the films. Well, yeah, you couldn't get on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes and like Google literally any film and find out about it. Like you right. had to go by As a metalhead. I do that too. You know, you buy records based on the cover yeah. once in a while. Yep. That's how I got into metal. <laughs> yeah. Kind of same here. <laughs> I remember browsing. It was, it was Meyer and they had a nice earth album that had like some crazy cartoon, like demon artwork on that shit. And I was like, all right, I'll try that. And then I was like, okay, 12 year old me was hooked. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, this was the first time watching this film for me. Like I, you had talked about it so highly and we were going to do that Cronenberg episode, like back in the day, or we did do that Cronenberg. Pom pom. I said, rip like rest in peace. Oh, but yeah, like <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that that was on my list of the films to watch when we were doing the Cronenberg like specific episode. But I never did get around to it because it didn't sound horror enough for me. And even watching it now, I'd still have a hard time saying it's like it's like on the edge of horror. I wouldn't say like it's very just kind of teetering there. I don't like bugs, so that shit fucked me over a little bit. I was like, oh, fuck, there's going to be giant talking bug there's things not, in this movie? It's, it's the tone yeah. of it. And yeah, then, the tone and the body horror of the creatures Well, and the not bugs only that, and... but the little segments like the Eve's Cloquet monster that was, like, feeding on poor Kiki in the birdcage. Oh, Like, yeah. that scene's pretty fucking that horrific. That is fucking weird. And he had, there was, like, a sculpture he had seen of that shit. Like, like Dead Ringers is considered horror, but... You know, what? where's the horror in that other than the one scene at the end where the brother's all dead and, like, the weird body horror dream sequence? You yeah, because, like, I, see, I, you, we were arguing about that one with Dead Ringers. 
But uh, yeah, we we were uh, we were talking about that one of Dead Ringers because we never had that uh, I never had that feeling of horror through there besides that one weird scene. But I mean, even still, this movie just like is part of that genre. The it's tone just, of it this... and watching Billy watching his life fall apart and watching him kind of lose his sanity and everything. It's, I don't know. I feel like it's horror enough to be horror. You know? Yeah. I was entertained. Uh, it was unnerving in parts, so I, I can definitely see how it could get the, the horror, uh, the horror tag. Right. It's just not like a, like a typical by the book style horror film. So it's like one of those where it just feels weird, but you know, yeah, no jump it still scares. fits in the genre. No, perfectly. no jump scares. Definitely not. Yeah, but it fits perfectly in the genre, no matter what. So like, what's uh, what's the score for you, bud? All right, so yeah, we, since it's the first time we're doing this, we're scoring uh, zero from ten. With quarter and, points in between. Yep. Okay. And for me, the way, like, might as well explain how we look at our scores. But for me, uh, a five is average. And below that, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So, like, anything above it means, you know, it's above average to great to masterpiece. So for me, I would put this, like, the only complaints I really had were, well, I guess only really one complaint, because the movie was definitely entertaining, but there, it felt uh, like it almost overstayed its welcome, like the length of it was a bit long. I could have, uh, like, I could have, I mean, it's hard to fit all of what was in this movie into, like, the two-hour mark, but at the same time, it almost kind of felt like it overstayed its welcome just a little bit to me. I would still give this an 8 out of 10. That being my only complaint, truly. What about you, Sam? Alright, um, well, for me, not not being a fan of the genre, I guess, uh, I should just make it known that anything under a, over a 5, I would consider, like, watchable. But doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I want to watch it again. Uh... <laughs> I liked this movie. I thought it was beautiful. I thought the music was great. Uh, it was really well written, really, really well acted, but it was very incohesive. And I don't see myself probably anytime soon sitting down for another watch through. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. That's fine. I can accept that. It's a 9.75 for me. Okay, I was half expecting to hear a 10 come out of your mouth <laughs> yeah, for that one. I it's, had been told you really liked well, this video one. Videodrome is my, my 10 Cronenberg, but this one is very close on its heels. It's just such a great movie, and I could watch it again tomorrow and still love it. For fans of the whole mind fuck type thing, I would wholeheartedly recommend this as being one of the most fucked up movies I've ever watched. It's also one of the bravest, like, book adaptations ever, like, Naked Lunch was always deemed the to be like unable to be adapted, unadaptable. Yeah, and it if if the book is any indication, I could I could totally see that just from what the movie just introduces. Like if there's more from the book or even like William Burroughs' life that could have been added to this, I don't know if my brain could handle it. <laughs> it was like the whole entire time I'm watching this movie with my mouth my jaw hanging open, just like what the. F- fuck so yeah this is a recommend from all for sure um even burrows liked the movie did he really nice but just to make uh, be clear 9.75 7.5 from you tim and an 8 from me solving the following riddle will reveal the awful secret behind the universe assuming you do not go utterly mad in the attempt 
If you already happen to know the awful secret behind the universe, feel free to fast forward ahead. David, David Wong? Wong? David Wong? Did you doze off there? stuff this soy sauce so it's a drug right just tell me what this stuff is john effects don't last that long the side effects don't last that long the effects will last the rest of my life i think why don't you tell me tell me about your friend john I mean, that stuff dave i'm remembering things that haven't happened yet you got to be really brave to ask yourself the scary questions your friend is the only known survivor the rest are dead He's not looking too healthy right about now. It'd be opening doors to other worlds, man. What's <gasps> the weirdest thing you've ever seen, Arnie? Look, leave the police station right now during all the commotion. There's another guy in here with me. It's another cop. No, there's not. Check the mirror. How does somebody get into this? There's dead guys and drugs. It's kind of a long story, but now we can see things. Things are in motion, Mr. Wong. Nothing you're seeing is real. I suppose you are wondering where you are. You're having like a like a bad trip or whatever they call it. But there is no magic. And so our next film, we are going to be talking about John Dies at the End, directed by Don Coscarelli. Hales. And if you don't know who he is, then, then you can fucking die. Or uh, you can uh, do some more investigating because he obviously directed Phantasm all the way up to part four. And he did uh, Beastmaster. Beastmaster. He Bubba did Hotel. Bubba, yep. ha, okay. Survival Quest. I was yeah. going to say, I, I didn't know who he was, but then you just named some of those movies and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Well known in the horror community, but uh, he is uh, adapting, which this kind of seems to be another theme that we ended up accidentally yeah, going I, with. I was thinking about that as we were doing Naked Lunch, that, wow, both of these are adaptations book of adaptations. weird books. Yeah. And yeah, the book was written by David Wong, who writes for Crack.com. And yeah, he's made three books in this series Man, now. He's and so good. Yeah, his way of writing is just like, Juvenile in a very like fun, intelligent way. I would right. compare him to a cross between Stephen King and Hunter S. Thompson. I yeah. loved this movie. Like this movie was great in every way. It was exciting. Yeah. It was hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, it was just the right level of gore. Some I cool thought. gore. Yep. Yeah, good All stuff. Right. Well, before we go too far into that, though, you know, we should uh, mention you know it's Chase Williams was uh he was in Victor Crowley and. Beyond the Gates, and I think he did a bunch of shorts and a couple other things I wasn't sure of. As David Wong. Yep, as David Wong. And then uh, Rob Mays as John. He was in, like, a lot of films, but, like, once again, nothing that I tend to recognize. I guess he is in the Deep Blue Sea sequel, part two, that just came out. <laughs> I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Those guys did a pretty good job. Yeah, their performances as John and Dave They weren't are... exactly... Like, I read the book well before I came to the film, so, like, they weren't exactly what I had in my head, but 
I wasn't upset by their performances, and I even think they did a good job. Yeah, and me, who read the book after the movie, all I could picture is them playing the characters they right. did so well. Like, like I couldn't think of anybody else. But uh, it also st- stars Paul Giamatti, who's been in a ton of films. Oh, yeah. yeah Giamatti's a legend. If you don't know who he is, yeah. then... Yeah, like, and he's in so many, just, like, his... His IMDb list is just like all over the place, which is kind Giamatti's of cool. really, really gifted. Yeah. Or not even gifted, talented. I hate to use the word gifted, but yeah, he can do anything from a sprawling epic miniseries about John Adams for HBO to this sort of thing. So I forgot he did that John Adams thing. Oh, yeah. Man. Like, he's been in a lot of stuff. And then um, and then a man that should really need no introduction, Clancy Brown. Clancy motherfucking Brown. Kurgan. Motherfucker is Awesome in yeah, everything he's, awesome he's in. in everything. Even if the shit that he's in is weak, he elevates it. But his he has a lot of good credits, like Bad Boys and Highlander and recent stuff, even like The Burrowers is fantastic. And he was even in the uh Pet Cemetery too. Yep. He's and, so good in that movie. Oh, he's Holy great shit. In that. I think that was like besides Highlander, I think that was like the second film I'd ever seen him in. Pet Cemetery Two is better than Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I'm gonna say equal, better. Uh, I've not seen either one of them, so I can't. What? I can't comment. Hey, don't That's act wild. surprised, man. You're well, gonna I'm hear that they a haven't lot. seen the first one. Yeah, no. Uh, he I, might recognize scenes from I've, it. Yeah, I was gonna say I've seen parts of it in passing because I remember it was like playing on some big screen TV back in like the '90s at somebody's house, but I didn't watch the whole thing. And then we also have uh, as. I guess you would almost call them like cameos, but we have uh, Doug Jones, and he is pretty much Guillermo del Toro's man. He is in yeah, everything Guillermo del Toro Sabian does. He's Abe from the Hellboy movies. He's the fish man in Shape of Water. What was he in this? He was, he was the, the man the, in the back seat of the I car that put name. the slug on oh, John. Okay, yeah, Dave. yeah. The, the, the one that talks weird to him. Weird dude. Yeah. <laughs> are, you ex- are you familiar with the old human expression? I want to shoot you so bad my dick is hard. Dude, <laughs> so many good lines yeah, in this lines movie. Yeah, the lines in this uh, movie are fantastic. Well, if you don't fuck with me, you might live to hear it again <laughs> the next 24 hours. Scott, what was your favorite line there in the beginning? <laughs> oh, it was uh, when they're running up the steps and uh, John goes to open the door and turns into the giant dick. Oh. This door cannot be opened. And you just see Dave with the perfect yeah. facial expression. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I, from the beginning, Scott's this movie, favorite scene would be yeah. the one with the giant the penis. big floppy it's penis. fucking yeah. great. Enormous. He likes Like, those. unrealistically large doorknob penis. Yeah. All right. So, before we <laughs> jump any more into this. Also, probably... there are cameos by Angus Scrimm. I was just going to say that. can't skip him. And Daniel Roebuck. Yep. If you don't know who Angus Scrimm is, turn the podcast off. You have failed. <laughs> I really don't know who that is. The tall man from Phantasm, which you still might not know what that is. Um, I've seen pictures. Okay. So I should. But he, I mean, he's in other stuff, but he's he's the tall man. Yeah, that's what he's like most known for. And then Daniel Roebuck of River's Edge fame. He's in Ravager. He's the non-English, like the Hungarian farmhand at the girl's farm. Oh, okay. Gets killed by the Sentinel Sphere. Yeah, like right after the, right before, right after the horse. He's an interesting fellow. I met him at that weird offshoot of the Flint Horror Convention. The fucking, or maybe it was the last Flint Horror Convention that they did. Whatever it was, he was like getting all Christy on me and really Uh talking about God and shit. So I kind of cut it short. Disappointing. Yeah, he didn't have any River's Edge stuff on his table, and that really pissed me off, and that made me want to cut it short, too. Yeah, I don't blame you. But uh, 
All right, so I'm going to try my best to synopsize this film. Oh, this, good luck. Just oh, like yeah. Naked Lunch, it's just like a lot of just like weird, just crazy set pieces that has like a vague kind of wraparound story. But it's basically about the main story is basically about Dave because he's meeting up with a reporter to tell his story about how him and John have become the investigators that they have because they. Uh, now just are basically online paranormal investigators that go and check out these different uh, like haunted it's situations. Like if dudes like us became Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically. But yeah, they're both like <laughs> just kind of slacker type people that kind of slum it and love to party. Stoners. Yeah, stoner types, and they like their booze. They end up getting involved in uh, what is called soy sauce, which is like a living black goo. That tends to make it so they well, can... It's, it's the secretion of that, the weird spider-like Yeah, creature. but they don't explain that in the movie, though. But No, no but yeah, there's didn't. a lot of well, shit that they, they make don't explain it, I mean, the they, they allude to the fact that, I mean, that's why John... Keeps or, it that's why David has a, Dave has it in the back of his truck, so he can get more sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. I'm keeping a lethal creature around so that I can get high on its weird secretions. <laughs> Oh, Lord, I didn't know that. Yeah, because like I said, that's not in the movie, but yeah, in the book, that's how, like, that's where the sauce comes from, is their stinger. Coscarelli alludes to it enough in the film that, like... I'm sure if you've read the book, yeah, like... Even without... Like, why else would he have that goddamn thing, you know? I don't know. I thought he was just using it. But yeah, the uh, (laughs) the sauce in general ends up kind of, like, making it so your mind is open to other worlds and other parallel dimensions, and you can see things that are on our planet that... You wouldn't have been able to see with the naked eye, like weird, freaking arachnid-style creatures that are not really arachnid. Yeah. <laughs> the way that I have always, like, it makes me feel like it's the resonator from From Beyond. It it opens the veil to the the dimensions around us, the things that you can't see normally. Right. And yeah, it also like- alters your perception to the point where you can know what's going to happen before it happens well into the future and, you know... Even uh, there's the point in the movie where David is in the munitions factory and he distracts the guy that's making the bullet that bounces off his chest. Yeah, yeah. he somehow when influences fly... something that happened, like, who knows how long yeah, before. Yeah, the, f- the fly flies into the cartridge and, like, decreases the powder count. Yeah, it so gets loaded the... with a fly yeah. instead of powder, and so it just has the primer and the bullet just bounces off. This, this movie is just... Just awesomely well, David weird. Wong is a fuck. That's how good of a writer that yeah. dude is, man. Like he's, he's serious. I've been meaning to read the books, honestly. Yeah, because but... it's one just like what the fuck moment after another. Like everything, like because <laughs> I think we were talking about it earlier. Like how every like when you read his books, you think you're listening to an insane man. The way everything's written, it's just kind of weird. And like I say, it has like a juvenile. That's where touch the Thompson comes like... in. His that's where his Thompson is showing. Like he. The way that he writes horror is very Stephen King, but the way that he writes everything else reminds me so much of Thompson and reading his stuff. Yeah, the only reason I say juvenile is just because he talks about Petuses a lot in like a joking, almost like high school, middle schooler manner with some of the things. Like, and it's penis jokes are constantly throughout the whole. That yeah. doesn't have book anything series. to do with King or Thompson. That's no. just kind of his cracked magazine. Yeah. I was going to say showing. like thirteen-year-old me would have laughed his head off at this movie for sure. Yeah, like I say, it has some like juvenile like parts to it with the humor, but at of the course, same time, you know, it's what makes this I was gonna series say, of books and the movie just fucking thirty-five-year-old me laughed his head off at a couple parts of this movie too. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's got good 
good humor. So the sauce opens up their perception to everything and they stumble upon a plot of this weird parasite from another dimension. Named Korok. Yeah. Let's yeah, let's plan it on just like finding a way through the dimension itself to like uh invade and kill the world. He's or... using these weird little bug parasite things to invade people's bodies. Yeah. Yeah, like they, they're like if cuz I think uh the way they <laughs> yeah. were described like when you see them like on screen they just look like little white fuzzy dots. But when yeah. you, but when you uh get the description of them in the book they're like uh, almost like U-shaped worms that like attach themselves and burrow into your skin, and see, I'm sure that's there's kind a lot of a good detail in the book of Wong's writing. Like things are penetra- <laughs> everything's getting penetrated. Well, in the sequel, <laughs> in the sequel book, uh, dude, the this book under- is full of spiders. Yeah, they they like live in your mouth. And- yeah, and control your body, and and yeah, I'm only part way through the third book, which I uh, what is that one called? Uh, what the fuck did I just read? Yeah, I still need to start that one, and that one's also just kind of out there but yeah like i don't i don't want to get too much into the books but yeah like there's a few things that the books did change like they combined amy's character that was two different people in the books into one character so her storyline's kind of mixed well they changed her up in a couple of ways like the prosthetic hand and stuff well amy has the prosthetic hand in the book which was the last girlfriend but the first girlfriend didn't right and then yeah there's like uh they changed the name of the dog for some weird yeah, reason. Yeah, the name of the dog went to Barkley. That was a good name. Yeah, it fit. I don't know what it was. I assume that it was like Don Coscarelli's dog's name or something. All right, and I did notice that, you know, in uh, the book they called the uh, African-American officer. Uh, in the book they called Morgan Freeman because that's what right. they always reminded him. But I'm Jennifer guessing. brought that up today when we were watching it. She's like, is that the Morgan Freeman guy? Because <laughs> yep. she, uh, she's reading the book right now. Oh, perfect. Yeah, what does she think of it so far? She likes it. Nice. She thinks it's funny. We yeah, this movie in general just straight up a lot of fun, lots of like just entertaining scenes, like one after another. Like it, it's like a roller coaster that doesn't stop because there's always something ridiculous happening at some point. Like uh, in the beginning, you just just the way the characters are acting, and like when David meets uh, Paul Giamatti's character, the reporter, and he's like. He's all tripping on the sauce yeah. and shit. Yeah, and he's like saying, oh, you'll have like three quarters, two dimes and a nickel in your pocket all from this date and stuff like that. And Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's... And then the they're sitting in the They China Food <laughs> restaurant. Is that the name of the restaurant? Yeah, They China Food. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah, there's some silly things like that, but uh, yeah, quotable lines, uh, like when the Randy was saying about... Uh, be, uh, again, I can't think of it right now off the top of my head. Be familiar with the old human expression. I want to shoot you so bad, my dick is <laughs> dick hard. Is hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Maybe that if line you don't fuck with me, you'll live to hear it again in another twenty-four hours. Yeah, and then there's just weird scenes of just like, uh, like the police interrogation room. Like, there's the one officer that's just kind of quietly sitting in the back, and you realize that. He's not really there, yeah. but he is at the same time. Yeah, he's like, oh, and his I'm, mustache I'm, flies off oh. and starts biting John. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he can't hurt you. me. No, yeah. I'm pretty sure he can hurt you. <laughs> and of course, there are gratuitous random titties that have no point other than to be there at one point. Especially at the end. Yeah, yeah, that was just random and weird. Well, uh, the way that the movie and the book play out is not linear. I mean. If you're watching the movie and you're not really paying any attention or you're stupid, then it's really going to confuse you because it jumps in time quite a lot. Like, 
you're in the restaurant at the beginning and David's talking to Arnie and then he's relating to them the story of them going to this woman's house to help her with her boyfriend specter or whatever. <laughs> the meat yeah. Those events happen well after the events of the actual movie. Right. And then after that, you're launched into the origin story, which happens before the con like the yeah, story that he's everything. going to tell. So yeah, it's it's broken up in a very weird and chaotic way, which kind of fits with the way everything like oh, plays yeah, out. Absolutely. It's, it's weird because as random as everything is, it's still it still follows. Like you know what I mean? Like you can still put it all together, like <laughs> maybe on your second watch. Yeah, you definitely can't explain <laughs> the movie easily, but you know, like you can follow it and you're like, Okay, I'm I'm with these characters, I know what's going on, I know where they're at. And yeah, if you have no idea what exactly you're uh what exactly is type of movie is within the first five minutes with the monologue of the dude, the Nazi he kills. And oh he, yeah. And oh. the axe <laughs> ax story. The axe story is so great. brilliant. I almost wrote all that down uh-huh. just to like repeat here, but that was That's a really the long. That's that slayed me. Is, is it right? Is he right? Yeah. Holy that's, shit. That's funny. <laughs> that's a great way to start the movie off. And like, I don't want to sound all like a fucking stupid fedora or something but david <laughs> wong is goddamn smart and he's a smart writer and his shit is like it makes you fucking think and that's awesome i love writers that make me think and get my mind going and stuff and he's he's just so good yeah, and he uh er, but yeah like if you watch that scene and you're like all right i'm in for something special you'll be all in for the rest of this film if you're not like smirking a little bit or just like blown away by just that monologue then yeah, this is probably not going to be for you if the if the prologue of the axe story doesn't hook you then just turn it off yeah because that's what it's going to be it's going to get weirder and funnier and you're going to like it the creatures are awesome the little cameos are great don coscarelli is like one of the most underrated directors and not just in horror but in like film history he's so good yeah Good like, at telling a story, and he's very selective about his projects too. He doesn't. He does. He's not very prolific. He doesn't work very often. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a shame because he hasn't really done anything in a long it time. It is. It's a goddamn shame, and I wish he would do more. But I'm. I'm glad that he just kind of picks and chooses because the stuff that he does is always so special, like Bubba Hotep. Yeah, Bubba oh, yeah. Weird, fantastic, awesome. I love that movie. Amazing yeah. movie. You know, like he got a better performance out of Bruce Campbell than Sam Raimi did, like five times. With how many times did they work together? You know. Yeah, like wait. And just in one go, he got a better performance out of Bruce Campbell than anyone ever. Yeah, it's uh, this was his last film that he's done too, isn't it? So far, yep. Yeah, that's crazy because that was this was like. What, 2009, I think? It's, it yeah, was an older movie, yeah. It's been a while. It's Yeah, like, um, would you guys just want to jump into the score for this one? Because, I mean, I'm just kind of gushing on this film over and over Obviously again. Obviously, you like it, yeah. Um, so, for me, this was the actually my third viewing of this movie, which oh. you're probably not going to hear a lot Sorry, during this but podcast. It was, <laughs> it was in 2012. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, so it's newer than I thought. Yeah, I've seen this movie three times. I enjoyed it the first time. I enjoyed it more the second time. And I honestly think I enjoyed it even more the third time. It's one of those movies for me. Uh, 
I, I hesitate to give it a perfect score, so I'm not going to, because I don't do that to things, but I'm going to give it a 9.5. Nice. Uh, and yeah, that was, to me, I really like that movie. How about you, Randy? What would you score? It's a, I give it a 9. 8.5 or a 9. I'm kind of, maybe I'll give it an 8.75. Well, is there anything that you really didn't like that would bring it down? Just like, is there anything you want to mention? Nothing that is the fault of the movie. And like, just as a massive fan of the book, I'm being nitpicky. And I know that they were really like limited by budget and whatnot. And Coscarelli being as good as he is made the best adaptation that somebody possibly could with the budget that he was given. I'll give it a nine. It's a nine. It's, It's incredibly funny and entertaining. And he, I don't know. I'm just kind of a Coscarelli fanboy, so I might be giving it that high of a score because of that. But right. Yeah, I'd just like to say too, as the one person out of these three who has seen the movie but not seen the book, don't let that deter you at all. These guys are gushing about the book this time, and I'm sure it's a great book. But even not having read the book, it's it's awesome. Right. Yeah. The it it could stand alone on its own for sure. It's fantastic and an, a very pleasing and acceptable and not even just acceptable but a great adaptation of the book yeah for me (coughs) like even being a fan of the book like like you said because of the budgetary reasons obviously they couldn't do like all the las vegas stuff because there was a lot that would have been involved in that obviously the vegas thing is the most glaring omission yeah, and I don't blame them because I mean, oh, I can't even imagine how expensive it is to film in Vegas. That and plus all the practical effects that would have to be done with the like mass like slaughter right. that goes on, like it just like even with those like you know missions, they were from really the book. clever about getting around that and introducing characters. Well, they were clever about getting around massive like violent shots with the animation sequence right well even that was in the book though too right sure so like so i think he was copying that but yeah that's also a great way of doing budgetary restrictions is that cartoon with all the spiders (laughs) but uh yeah even with like you know things missing from the book and me being a huge fan of the book like tim i had watched this before i'd read the book and then after reading the book i'd went back and watched again and then you know since then i've listened to the i listened the audiobook like Probably 15 times. Yeah. It's one of my favorite books. Like it's that really whole series. Um, I, I'm going to give this a 9.75. I fucking love this movie. It is like multiple views for me. Like it's directed really well. The like effects are just fun and like unique and just crazy and well done. And the story. Yeah. It makes no fucking sense, but like, that's the beauty of it, and the characters no, the all story are great. Makes sense. It does. It really, it's. It, well, I mean, it does. But when you try to explain it to somebody, well, it's yeah. kind of tough to do. It, it doesn't sound nearly as interesting when you like explain it as it is when you actually. Two longtime bummer friends <laughs> get a drug that gives them superpowers, and they're made privy to a domination plot from a creature that rules a twin alternate dimension. Yeah, but wow, see, that's, okay, you just made it okay. I don't that, think I would have ever explained it that, that doesn't that doesn't do it justice. So go watch the goddamn movie. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is a, so uh, Tim gives it a nine point five. Randy gives it a nine, and I'm gonna give it a nine point seven five. Good scores. So yeah, it's it's a good one for sure. And I really wish Coscarelli would do more. It'd be cool if he did the next book. 
I don't know. I'm sure he'll do another movie. Who knows what he'll do, but... Oh, I would love to see a, this book is full of spiders, or this movie is full of spiders right. type adaptation. It's been talked about, according to the internet. Yeah. And I would love it to be There true, was a, but... a big buzz for years after Bubba Hotep that he was going to do Bubba Nosferatu. Yeah, and that got completely shut down just recently by I'm, Bruce Campbell, too. I'm pretty glad that it did, honestly, because it makes a far better, like joke at the end of the movie then right it would probably be as an actual movie right exactly but i will i am definitely looking forward to whatever don castrelli does next because it's always something good and i hope he does something soon but um so just not to keep anybody too much longer we're gonna wrap this all up first i want to mention you know check us out on facebook we got a facebook group called the podcast by the cemetery I created an email for us. It's the podcast by the cemetery at gmail.com. Ooh, email. So if you ever want to like email us anything, like even if it's just like something you don't like about our show or something you like about our show or just some random question you want to ask send us. Send Scott hate mail. Yeah. yeah, you know, send us hate mail, send us love mail, yeah, basically send us whatever. You're, you're going to email Scott directly with that one because, you know. That he's the one that's going to check it. So feel free to tell him all sorts of stupid shit about himself. It's yeah, but I'll randomly post stuff on Facebook, <laughs> like asking questions based on the theme of our next episodes and stuff like that to see if like we get any responses there. But yeah, come join us there. Um, we'll eventually, by, by the time you hear this episode, we should hopefully be up on iTunes and we will uh, be out on all the podcast apps everywhere. But so we're going to move into our next episode, which will be episode three. And it's going to be camp horror film. Yeah, or we're going to take you all to horror camp. Yeah, horror take, camp. Yeah, podcast by the Cemetery is going to horror camp. Everybody get your fucking water wings and get your goddamn swimsuits and fucking your SPF because we're going to be your camp counselors. And we're going to take you to horror camp. I'm excited for this one. I'm not going to pay any attention to you. You might drown. <laughs> if you do, don't Your mom's going to get pissed and come, come back revenge. for revenge and kill me. <laughs> yeah. Kill Scott, kill Tim, but I'm cool, so. But it's his fault. But anyways, so Randy, what are what is the movie you chose for us to review? I'm gonna do Madman. It's uh it was initially gonna be about the Cropsey legend, but the Burning Beat It to the Punch. Oh, okay. I did not know that. So they just kind of concocted their own story, which turned out to be really cool, and Madman is awesome. And this is one I've been looking forward to checking out. Beware of the Madman Mars. And Oh god, I said his name. <laughs> <laughs> And the epi- uh, and the movie I am going to pick is uh, called Cheerleader Camp. I haven't seen that one, so it's it'll be interesting. This is it's not often that we're doing movies where each one of us haven't seen one or the other or whatever. So right. except for me, I, I haven't seen either yeah, one. Yeah, so you're so going to be this will be a very common theme for me. I'll say I have a feeling uh, both of you will enjoy Cheerleader Camp, maybe for different reasons completely, but it's uh, <laughs> very fun eighty slasher. So. I'm excited to see it. I've always wanted to. See it? I wish I would have bought it, but you—you you bought it, you stupid son of a bitch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, until next time. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Last me. one out closes the coffin door. See ya.